you would take your copy of God's Word and make your way to James chapter 3. Yes, we are working our way through the book of James and we're, we're finding this book to be powerful as all of God's word is anyway, but it's, it's been impactful to our hearts. I, I don't imagine that anyone who was here last week and heard uh, this call of James, it was an excellent message, I commend it to you, um, by our brother Chris, uh, just this call to, to ask God for grace and wisdom to help us to control our tongues. I can't imagine anyone in the room last week was like, at the end of it, like, I I think I'm good. I can take a rain check on that one. We all need help controlling our tongues, don't we? We all need help speaking in ways that bring honor and glory to God. Our, Our tongues hold immense power. Immense power. It's, it's crazy how much our our tongues have power. Power to, to breathe life into people through encouragement and upbuilding and also to, to breathe death by discouragement and all kinds of evil. In fact, that's what James says. It's, it's filled with, with deadly poison, potentially. Filled with restless evil. Praise God that He redeems our mouths and, and sets us on a different course. But even after His redemption, we can still yield ourselves, can't we, to speech that is ungodly. And, you know, as, as I went through the week, I, I just think this, the Lord was continuing to help me see my need for the Lord. Continuing to help me see my need for His, His grace to be at work in my life. And so I was asking Him this week, Probably like you, Lord, please continue to shape and refine my mouth so that it would speak in a way that would bring you honor and glory. And, and this week, we have a direct connection to last week's passage because, because they just flow right into one another. This week, James is talking about wisdom, and we see and we remember that James brought up the the topic of wisdom in James 1.5, and he says, says it this way, just to remind you where we, where we started in this, in this uh, book. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach. So we're just doing a review for a moment and saying, where does wisdom come from? Wisdom comes from God. God is the source of all wisdom. And so we, we look to the Lord not to ourselves, not to those around us in the world. We look to the Lord for wisdom, and we look to His Word as it is wisdom for us. So, so God's the source of all wisdom. And secondly, God gives wisdom to those who ask. God gives wisdom without reproach. We can, we can approach Him repeatedly, day by day, maybe moment by moment, and ask Him for wisdom because we understand something that by nature we lack it. We are not inherently wise in our own selves. And so he, he begins this whole letter by saying, if, if any of you ask. Now, I, I think that's James' way of being very kind and saying, okay, if, if, if any of you happen to lack wisdom, you can ask God. Like, okay, who in this room does not lack wisdom? We all need the wisdom that God gives. We just need to ask Him. We need to 
Look at his word because his word is wisdom. And so this morning we're going to be talking about what is, what is wisdom. James is going to contrast for us true spiritual wisdom with wisdom that is of the earth, that is unspiritual, that, that's not from God. So we're going to see contrasting types of wisdom as he is appealing to the body of Christ to seek the Lord and seek his grace for wisdom that, that honors him. So let's read again James chapter 3, starting at verse 13. Uh, we're going to finish the chapter through verse 18. As I read, I remind you, as I remind myself, that this is the holy, authoritative, inerrant word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Lord, this morning we thank you that you have given to us through your revealed word. You've given to us wisdom. Lord, we appeal to to God who is wisdom Himself. You are wisdom. And we appeal to You this morning to shape our hearts today, Lord, after wisdom. Help us to discard earthly, unspiritual, even demonic wisdom from the world so that we might in greater measure display a heavenly wisdom that comes down to us from above that demonstrates its truthfulness in purity and in holiness and in righteousness. Not a righteousness that is of ourselves, but a righteousness that is from you, Lord. So we confess our need for you in our speech and in our wisdom. Lord, I need you. And I appeal to you to help me even now that my speech may bring glory to you and edification to this body. And give us wisdom, Lord. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. I so appreciate how James is so real with us. He, he doesn't mince his words at all. And, you know, he doesn't make us cozy either. He, he goes after things very plainly. And quite frankly, I need that kind of direct, 
uh, assault, if you will, godly, wonderful, loving assault on my heart as, as I, I need his wisdom. I, I need God's wisdom. And it's critically important for our lives. If I were to summarize the main point of what I see in this text, I would say it this way. Heavenly wisdom leads to righteous peace, while earthly, and I'm putting them in quotes, wisdom, leads to disorder and evil. So, heavenly wisdom leads us somewhere. It leads to righteous peace in our relationships with God and with one another, while earthly wisdom leads to disorder and evil. Every vile practice is what James says. So, we're going to start by looking at the contrast that James brings to us here in verses 13 through 16. True wisdom versus false wisdom. So he draws this contrast, and, and the contrast makes us wonder, okay, what is wisdom? How do, we, how do we define wisdom? Well, wisdom is taking God's truth and applying it to our lives because his wisdom is, first of all, pure and right and true. There's never going to be a word that we receive from the Lord that is not wisdom. And so wisdom is taking God's word and God's truth and applying it to our lives. That's what walking in wisdom is. So in fact, James supplies us here with two particular marks of wisdom. So marks of true wisdom, there are two we see in verse 14. They are good works and humility. Let's let's read, uh, excuse me, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So true wisdom, wisdom that comes from God above, is designed to be evidenced in these two ways. So, So let's look at them for a moment. Good works, wisdom is not just some kind of intellectual enterprise where we where we think about wisdom and we we go into a think tank and put our heads together and like yeah that's really wise and then not actually apply it if we if we hear wise things but but don't actually do them then that's not wisdom because wisdom is applied it's it's a part of our lives it's how we act and and how we behave And so wisdom will be seen in the evidence of the good works that flow from our lives. So so when you're kind to your neighbor, you are walking in wisdom because God calls you to that. And everyone can see that you are being neighborly and that results in good works. Not so that you may boast or so that you may be seen, but that Christ might be seen in you. So the fruit of wisdom is seen in the good works that flow from a heart that loves Christ. We also see humility in the lives of people who are wise. He says, in the meekness of wisdom. One who is truly wise, truly living in God's wisdom, will recognize something. They'll recognize that they inherently lack wisdom, and therefore they will ask God for the wisdom that they lack, which promotes a spirit of humility in their hearts. Right? If, if we think we've got it all together, we're, we're proudly arrogant, and we're also missing the fact that, that we need God's help. And so when we're, when we're truly wise, there will be a meekness about our spirit. Our lives will be marked by humility, by the recognition that we don't have it all together and we don't have all the answers. We need to continually appeal to God who gives generously 
without reproach, without fault. He gives it generously. And so that will mark our lives. Good works will be evident and humility will be evident because we'll be ones who are asking God to help us time and time again for wisdom. So as we look to God's wisdom, we look to the wisdom that that comes from above. James says to us, who is wise among you? I'll tell you who's wise among you. Um, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. There will be good works. There will be a posture, a heart posture of humility. Now, James next introduces to us the contrasting wisdom of the world. Let's read again verses 14 and 15. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so we see in this description two false marks of false wisdom. Um, If we claim to be wise, but don't look to the Lord as the wise one, then bitter jealousy and selfish ambition will reveal itself as we look away from the Lord for our wisdom. In contrast to the wisdom of God whose source is God, we will be walking in ways that are, as he describes, earthly, unspiritual, apart from the Spirit of God. So let's take a look at these two for a moment as well. Bitter jealousy. What does it mean to have bitter jealousy in our hearts? It means that we will, um, to some degree, we will resent the advantage of others. When we see someone prosper or do well or, or take an advantage or have an advantage, be blessed by God, if we have bitter jealousy in our heart, we'll, we'll begrudge that benefit. We'll be calculating and stingy and greedy for ourselves. Rather than rejoice for them, we're focused on what we didn't get. And in fact, bitter jealousy demands. It demands. Lord, I need that. I deserve that. In fact, I I deserve more than that. That's what bitter jealousy in our hearts covets. It's, it's quite frankly, it's the opposite of a thankful heart. It's the opposite of a a heart that is saying to God, "I, I can't believe that you have blessed me as you have. I can't believe that you have forgiven all of my sins. Bitter jealousy is a condition of a heart that has forgotten or maybe perhaps has never known the amazing grace of God. Earthly wisdom in its own way, it, it, it manifests itself not only in bitter jealousy, but also in selfish ambition. Ambition, as you know, it's not inherently wrong. In fact, Christians are called to be ambitious for the Lord and for His Gospel. We have received, have we not? We've received a great commission. A commission to go out and make and mature disciples of the Lord. That's that's our mission statement. We aim to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement as as a church body. Why? Because we're under a great 
commission, and a great Lord has commissioned us out. So ambition in and of itself is not wrong. That's why we reach out to our neighbors. That's why we invite people to the bridge course. It's why we take those welcome bags and knock on doors and and make our way into the community to invite them to Jesus Christ. They They are really good and right ambitions for the gospel. However, ambition goes wrong when we take initiative motivated by ourselves. Like for self-promotion and self-glory. When we're yearning or craving recognition for power or for a position. We're doing things to draw attention to ourselves. It's, again, it's, it's the opposite of the way that a Christian is called to live for God's glory and not for the glory of ourselves. In fact, James, James mentions this as one of the demonic sins. And I wondered, as I was thinking about this this week, I wonder if James was in fact remembering, as he's writing this, the story of Lucifer. The story of Lucifer, otherwise known as Satan. You may recall that Lucifer was one of the angels of God, but one who went astray because he craved something. He craved self-promotion. He craved the worship that was due only to God Himself. Listen, Listen to the selfish ambition as Isaiah recounts Lucifer's words in Isaiah 14. He said, You said in your heart, listen to all the I wills as Lucifer declares them. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. When James is saying that the the wisdom of the world is demonic, I wonder if he's recalling the very sin that cast Lucifer out of eternal glory and into the depths below. It was because of his craving and desire for worship and self-promotion. This was Lucifer's sin. The sin of selfish ambition. He wanted the worship that was due to God and God alone. And I think, you know, at times we, using that illustration, maybe perhaps we, we might think, oh, okay, good. Uh, phew, I'm glad I'm not like, I'm glad I'm not like Lucifer. I'm not, I'm not craving someone to worship me. Well, th- that's, that's good. But if we're honest, dear friends, if I'm honest, selfish ambition, I think, can find its way into all of our hearts at times in ways that we may or may not be aware of. Um, a few weeks ago, Chris mentioned the book, uh, Respectable Sins. It's a book by Jerry Bridges, and we would again commend it to you. It's a book that, it's an interesting title, Respectable Sins. His basic premise is that there are certain sins that we say, oh, we would never do those. But there are other sins that are just as heinous before God, but, but we tend to not pay as much attention to those sins. And we, we, we coddle them, perhaps. And he illustrates from his own life and in his own heart. He, he, 
he talks about, I won't read it, he talks about this story of how another, you know, Jerry Bridges is an author, he's written many books, and he, he talks about how a fellow author who had written about the same number of books was getting invited to speak all over the world. And these invitations kept flying in, and, and there was a temptation in Bridget's heart to say, hey, how come I'm not getting invitations to fly all over the world and, and speak about my books? I, I think my books are pretty good, maybe even rivaling the books of, of this other fellow author. And he said, you know, I, as he analyzed his own heart, he said, I don't even like to fly. I don't like traveling internationally. So, so what was his heart actually after? It was after the recognition that this other author was receiving, the accolades, the invitations to speak that was coming up in his heart. And he recognized the sin of selfish ambition. And, and I, I know this man personally. He was one of my teachers at, at the pastor's college. And, and to say, I mean, this is a humble man. As, as I met him and as I interacted and he taught our class, I was just like, this guy is humble. And so even in the most humble of dear saints, there can arise selfish ambition. Perhaps when others are recognized or their gifts seem more valued than ours, or maybe it's a coworker who gets a promotion and yet we're overlooked and we may actually think we're working a whole lot harder than they might be. Perhaps for those of us on sports teams, when a fellow teammate gets more playing time and seems to be the coach's favorite, when we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and say, hey, I think I deserve a little bit of that as well. There's selfish ambition afoot in our hearts. And in my own heart, at times, I've shared how this is a, a temptation for every pastor, including me, that, that we want to preach sermons and people say, wow, what a, what a great sermon, pastor. And, and there are times where we as pastors can crave your encouragement or your affirmation of who we are. And we have to fight hard against things like that. Selfish ambition can rise up in our hearts in the most crazy places. But it's true. And I think we can all agree that there are corners and pockets of our hearts where selfish ambition arises. And I just want to say to myself and to all of us this morning in love, that selfish ambition is from the pit of hell. Selfish ambition is earthly. It's opposed to the Spirit of God. It's demonic. And what does that mean for us? Where we see that there may be selfish ambition in our hearts. It means that we repent of it as immediately as we see it. That when then thoughts of selfish ambition rise within us, we say, Lord, please forgive me. Please change my heart. Please give me a heart that is inclined to you, not inclined to crave the worship and the adoration of others around me. And Lord, fill me with your spirit again. That will not lead me toward selfish ambition. It will not leave me in a place of bitter jealousy toward others who are advancing and I seem to be lagging behind. Lord, change my heart. 
if you ask God, if you lack wisdom applied in your life, He'll give it to you. He will help you. He will help me to grow in these ways. And and I'm so grateful that James is contrasting very clearly here. Here's what heavenly wisdom looks like. This is what comes down from above. It's going to be full of good works and it's going to be humble. It's going to be meek. It's going to be marked by a disposition to receive from the Lord. And a heart that is turned away from God is going to be filled with this kind of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And so, dear friends, this morning, you know, if you see that in your heart anywhere, oh, dear friend, let us repent of it. Because it's not of God. It's not of God. And God is gracious and He's, he's a forgiving God and he, he wants us to see it so that we will repent because He wants to set us on a course of glorification of Him. And so God is kind, actually, to reveal these things to us. I appreciate James' forthrightness to me because my soul needs to be adjusted by the Lord. Look at verse 16. Look at the additional fruit, bad fruit that comes. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. While the origin of true wisdom comes from God above and there will be fruit to that, and we'll get to that fruit in just a few moments in the, the remainder of the verses, um, if, we, if we allow jealousy to grow in our heart, if we allow selfish ambition to exist in our souls, then He is prescribing for us what we can anticipate in the days to come. Disorder, like this chaotic kind of frenzying disorder, this fighting within our soul, unstable, unrestless. That's what we can expect. And, and as if that wasn't enough, he goes to graphic, I think graphic expression, every vile practice. It's kind of like that there's, if, if we yield ourselves to these kinds of things, there's no limit to the kind of evil that can occur in our hearts and our lives because we're yielding ourselves to demonic practices. That's what he's saying. And so, I mean, this is a sobering word, is it not? That, that, and yet there is such grace in this word. Because when we detect this, and when we fall on our face before the Lord, and when we say, Lord, I see selfish ambition in my heart. I see bitter jealousy in my heart. I forsake it, Lord. I repent of it. Do you know what he does? He pours out his grace upon us. And he grants to us wisdom to forsake that and leave it behind. And to take steps forward in walking in his grace and in his truth. So so while this may be and is, in fact, a sobering aspect of this text, it is also such a life-giving aspect of this text. Because God wants us to enjoy the wisdom that comes down from heaven, which is where now we're going to turn our attention to. So, uh, second and final point is the fruit, the evidence of true wisdom, as we'll see in verses 17 and 18. Let's just read verse 17 for, for right now. He says this, again, the contrast, now we're going back to wisdom that comes from God. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, 
open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So since these are so important, I think, for all of us, I'm just going to take a few moments to walk through each of them, uh, perhaps describe them, and then ask a few questions to help us think hard about these things together. The wisdom that God gives is, first of all, so here's the first characteristic of wisdom that comes from God. It's, first of all, it's pure. It's holy. It's, it's at, at a motivational level. He's saying when, when we have wisdom that is from God, what it will be is undiluted. Wisdom from God is undiluted, untainted by sin. When we receive it from the Lord, there's no contaminants in this wisdom from the Lord. It is pure and it will result in a purity in our hearts and lives. Again, ever increasingly until we see Christ face to face. So that means if we have pure wisdom, then our motivations to do whatever it is we do will be increasingly pure. They'll be motivated by a, a heart that's, that's pure, unspoiled with selfishness. We'll not be interested in things that are false, things that are evil. We'll be interested in the things we'll seek after, actually, the things that are pure, the things that are right, the things that are true. That's what we'll occupy our minds with. We'll get rid of the trash, we'll dump it out, and God will give us pure wisdom. Wisdom that is true and right and marked by the things that he loves because he himself is utterly and wholly pure. So it will be marked by a purity in our hearts. It will be peaceable, he says next. It will be marked by peace. We'll have a spirit that, that actually promotes and encourages peace. This doesn't mean, which sometimes we can think that this means kind of wimpy, oh, just you know, happy at any expense, as long as we're all getting along, I'm, I'm fine. No, that's not what it means to be a peaceful person. It means that we will have convictions because we need to be able to stand on biblical, biblical convictions. Um, but it means the way that we carry those convictions will be peaceable. In other words, we're not carrying our convictions looking for a fight. We're carrying our convictions because they're from the Word of God, presumably, because they're important to us. We're going to stake our lives on these things, but we're going to carry them in a way that leads to peace. So, you will encounter, perhaps with the person seated right next to you, you will encounter people who have differing convictions on matters within the text of Scripture. So how do we position ourselves to carry convictions in a way that is peaceable? Well, I, I think you can tell at times when we carry them peaceably because we're not argumentative about them. We're not looking to argue and fight. We're looking for a greater understanding of the truth. And, and perhaps our hearts may be at times blind to truths that we didn't consider before. And so we're going to be peaceable in talking about things uh, of the Lord. We're going to be peaceable. We're going to be eager, as Paul says, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And verse 18, what does it say? 
It says that a, a harvest of righteousness. That doesn't mean like one or two little uh, corn sitting in the bed. No, like there's going to be corn, there's going to be tomatoes, there's going to be all kinds of fruit. There's going to be a harvest of righteousness for those who sow peace. We're going to be peaceable people. Not wimpy, not convictionless, but peaceable. We will pursue peace. After all, the name of our king is Prince of Peace. That's our king. He is Prince of Peace. Not peace at any cost. No convictions are important. But the way we carry ourselves will be peaceable. They will also be gentle. This is similar to peaceable, but um, a bit more outwardly notable. We will be gentle. There's, a, there's not the raising of voices or yelling or, or harsh argumentation. This goes back to, to last week a bit with the use of our tongues. Um, I, I want to confess to you something. Um, particularly when my children were young, um, I would just... Here's, here's the way my heart's on display. I would come home, you know, from perhaps a hard day of work, and I would crave something in my heart. Um, well, actually, two things. One is really good food, which Julie always provides. Uh, but the craving of my heart that I want to illustrate for you is not my food craving. It is my craving for peace at the dinner table. And when my kids were young, um, I developed a habit and a pattern of speaking in a way. And I'm not a, I don't tend to be a one who yells or raises my voice, but I would speak in a tone and in a manner which was not gentle. You know, you can say something in a way that isn't raising your voice, but it kind of peels the paint off the walls. Do you know what I mean? That kind of speech that is, you know, you're, you're kind of clenching your teeth, but there's clearly anger going on in your heart. You're just not raising your voice. Well, well at one point, Julie said, do you, do, you realize, do you realize what you're doing? Like rather than, you know, you know, I had four young kids and from time to time I'm going to need to address their hearts for whatever might be going on at the table. You know, Ethan throwing carrots at Micah and Micah throwing mac and cheese back. You know, I, there might be times when I had to address their hearts. But what I would rather refer to because I was craving peace because I deserve, King Jeremy deserves a peaceful dinner because he just works hard. I'm displaying my heart. I would crave this, and rather than deal with things rightly, I would speak in a manner that was not fitting. And Julie helped me. She said, you know, Jared, do you realize what you're doing? And it may have taken her a little while to convince me, but eventually this old blockhead got it, and we, we devised a plan that, that if that were to happen in a future dinner, which it did, uh, she would just say a simple word that we agreed ahead on, like she just said, Jared, your tone. That's it. And I want to tell you how much grace flowed to me through my wife to help me work on my speech. A ton of grace because I was not being gentle. I was not speaking in a way that was reflective of my father. Listen to Jesus' description of himself. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and 
Look what happens when we do that. When we take the yoke of Christ upon us, you will find rest for your soul. What I needed in those moments was to be reminded of my king and what he's like. And I had lost sight of what my king was like in my speech. Gentleness comes not from being weak or passive. Gentleness comes from looking to Christ and his kingship in our lives. Listen to, listen to Paul in Ephesians 4. I think this is, I'm spending time here because I think this is where we live and I think this is what we need to hear. I certainly need to hear it in my own heart and life. He says, let no corrupting talk or speech come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may do what? Give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all, now he he goes after our gentleness here. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the gospel right in verse 32. Do you see it? There's the gospel. This is the gospel applied to our hearts. We've been forgiven so much. Now I am able to forgive you and live with you with with you in peace. Because I've been given peace and I've been forgiven so I can forgive you. Do you see how the gospel helps us to live in, in the spirit of peaceableness and gentleness because we trust the Lord. We look to Him for our strength and our hope. He says next, the, the wisdom that's from above is open to reason, open to discussion in a way that promotes dialogue and mutual understanding. And I, I won't spend a lot of time because I've already touched on this, but again, this comes down to the way that we carry our convictions if we're carrying them to fight or we're carrying them to, to promote a greater understanding of God. There are times, dear friends, you and the church have helped me as a pastor to refine my theology and my understanding of God. Because I don't see everything clearly. And I need you. And I, we need one another. And if I'm not open to reason, if I've just closed the book and I have my understanding and no one can tell me otherwise well then I'm, I'm closing myself to what God might want to show me, what I, I might have missed in Scripture. And so again, we're not talking about being convictionless, but being open to reason, open to conversation. Not putting up our dukes, but saying, okay, let me hear you out, brother, sister. Let me hear you out, and we can talk together. Uh, the wisdom that comes down from God is open to reason. It's, it's full of mercy, this is a disposition of heart. It's, it's, it's a, a heart that's been forgiven and, and therefore is, is ready to dispense mercy. Heavenly wisdom will remember what heaven has delivered and that is mercy to our hearts and to our souls. 
all our sins given to Christ. And now we're co-heirs with Him. We have an inheritance that is eternal. Not only has God wiped out our debt, He's put, put infinite amounts of grace into our bank account. And so we'll never find the end of all that God has given to us. That's what He's given to us. And now He says, you know, have that heart toward other people. Have that heart toward your husband when he does something that makes you so upset. Wives, be full of mercy toward your husbands as they should be full of mercy toward you. Children, be merciful toward your parents because they're not perfect. And parents, be merciful to your children. We are to be full of mercy. Wouldn't it be great if all of us made it a goal that because we're so filled with mercy, we would be difficult to offend. That it would be really hard to offend us because we're so regularly receiving mercy and dispensing mercy. Wouldn't that be great? That we would be, it would be really hard to offend us. We don't take offense easily because we're ready to dispense mercy because we've been given so much mercy. What, what else will be true? We'll be full of good fruits. Um, there will be, there would be just, just bountiful fruit in our lives. And, and let's be real. Sometimes we don't see that. Sometimes we, we don't, uh, we aren't able to see the fruit that God is producing in us. And this is why, dear friends, we, we do care groups so regularly. We meet in one another's homes because, you know, we need to hear people tell us, hey, brother, sister, you may not be aware, but you're growing in this way. Or I'm seeing you take strides here. And we don't see ourselves very clearly. And we need the body to be able to, to, to encourage us. The body needs also to, at times, ask us hard questions. Yes, that too. But we need the body to help us to see the fruit that God is, being, God is working in our hearts and lives. And when he says, full of good fruits, I, I just want to read, again, Galatians 5, which you know, but it's worth repeating. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of those who live under the influence of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I mean, they're so, they map on to, to these almost word for word. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the wisdom that comes down from above. This, this is full of good fruits. It's impartial. James 2 reminds us that we, we don't, Christians don't treat one another based on outward appearance, based on how we measure somebody up, but we treat one another with equal dignity and worth because every person is created in the image of God, and therefore they have that dignity and worth. We're impartial toward one another, and we're sincere. We're not just, you know, someone who says something to say it to your face and then walk on and never think about it again. We don't, we don't just say, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you about that and, and never actually think to pray. No, we're sincere. We're, when we say we're going to pray for someone, we're going to do it as best as God helps us to do. We're going to write it down on our phones. We're going to remember because our faith is sincere in every way. These are the fruits of what God wants to do in our hearts as we look to him for wisdom. Look at verse 18, and with this we're going to conclude. I want to call the worship team up to join me on the stage. 
Verse 18 says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, um, James is indicating that the, the gates of righteousness are flung open to us as we live lives of peaceableness, of wisdom that is pure, of wisdom that comes down from above, that we will experience a life of peace. Again, not perfect. There's going to be bumps in the road. We're going to have tribulations and trials from time to time, but it's going to be a life of peace. And and I want to illustrate this from James' own life. James was called, we may have said this before, uh, James the Just. He, his knees were known to be like camel knees because he had a posture of prayer that was so prevalent that he was on his knees so much. James the Just, again, this brother of Jesus who didn't believe Jesus when Jesus was ministering. It was only after the resurrection, it seems, that, that James actually believed in his brother Jesus. This man came to be the leader of the Jerusalem church. In Acts 15, we have record of in a time of great contention when Old Covenant realities were, were smashing against New Covenant realities and the church was kind of in great difficulty, God used James, the just, to bring peace at the Jerusalem Council. You can read it in Acts 15. It's beautiful. God bought Peace through His Holy Spirit, of course, but He used a man. He used someone who was given toward heavenly wisdom to take a church that was at odds and bring them together for the glory of God. You may be sitting here thinking, what is my life? What, what, what can I do to, to make a difference? Well, dear friend, when we look to God, when we appeal to Him and say, Lord, I lack wisdom, would you give it to me? When you have a posture that is meek and you want to show good works, do you know what God does? He says, yes, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the grace to do that. I'm going to pour myself out to you without reproach, because I want to help you to walk as someone who's wise, as someone who displays a harvest of righteousness for my glory and for your good. So let me close here and say this. If you've been made aware of ways that there may be selfish ambition resident in your heart or perhaps some bitter jealousy that that you can say yes i i believe that that is in my heart maybe toward a particular person toward a particular situation um dear friends can i ask that as we sing this closing song as we take even a moment here to just pray i want to ask you to just confess that to the lord confess it because He loves to forgive and He loves to restore so that you can walk in that path no longer and walk in the path of heavenly wisdom which is marked by purity 
and love for God and that yields the fruit of peaceable righteousness. God is here to help us. And He wants to pour out His Spirit upon us. So we're going to take a moment and just pray quietly, just you and your Lord. Even if, Would you close your eyes right now and just forget people around you and ask the Lord, is there any way in my heart, Lord, that any of these sins exist? And let's take a moment for confession. Lord, I don't have to look very far to, to see pockets of bitterness in my heart or jealousy at times or selfish ambition. I don't have to look far. And I, with my brothers and sisters, we together, we, we ask that you would forgive us when those things exist in our hearts. We forsake them, Lord. We put them aside and, and claim them to be demonic. We don't want anything to do with that. We are your people, Lord. So please forgive us when we've sinned in those ways. And Lord, now we receive your forgiveness and, and your restoration even in our hearts. And we, we ask that you would set our feet on the path of wisdom that comes down from above, which is pure and holy and right, open to reason, gentle, sincere, impartial. Lord, and we, we see You as the source of all of those things. And so now as we, as we bring our time together to a close and we, we sing this song, we just praise Your name that that's who You are. We praise Your name that You're not partial. We praise Your name that You're, you're not like anyone else. You are distinct in Your glory and Your holiness. And we worship You, Lord. We praise Your name that You remember people like us. And that You've brought us into Your family. For everyone who's turned to You in faith, You've, you've restored us and You've made us at home with You. Lord, praise You. And continue to shape our hearts and our lives into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ. This is our prayer. Lord, do it. Use Your church. Use Your Word. Use our fellowship. Use whatever You want to make us like Christ. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.